Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 107th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that appreciates a good challenger. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping them both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host this week, Travis Allen, a Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and my co-host is James Chilcott, MTG critic, who's a little under the weather, so I'm going to do some of the heavy lifting today. James, why don't you say hello? <laughs> Hi, everybody. Yeah, all right. You're not that bad off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. I'm going to stay quiet until, until there's a reason to open my mouth. Yeah, I've got a cough myself, too, so a little... Uh, there's been a plague epidemic in the Northeast for the most of February, as anyone living in upstate New York or Toronto or anywhere where it's cold probably knows. Um, all right, but we have a great show for you this week. A lot of cars to talk about, some interesting topics. Looking forward to sharing all sorts of cool stuff. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds. In the hobby, this week, a show in three segments. Segment one, the top movers, cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, cards to watch. James and I point out some of the cards that we think may rise in price. And segment three, our topic of the week, we're going to talk about Masters 25. We're getting spoilers next week, I believe, pretty soon. Uh, so James and I are going to share some of our insight into what what that may hold for you um, and some of the decisions you might want to make based on that. And if we think about it, we'll talk about the new Challenger decks, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so let's get started. Segment one. <coughs> excuse me. There's some. Now it's my turn. Uh, our top movers. First card of the week is Delay from Future Sight. We're looking at foils. Jumped from about 14 to 30 for a, a little bit of a double up there. Uh, almost definitely because of Jace. Uh, basically, Jace brings all blue spells. Um, control-oriented blue spells kind of make people think about them again. Um, and Delay is has always been not terrible uh shows up every now and then so i would imagine that's people were just like hey what blue card can i buy because jace is legal and that was one of the ones they landed on yeah next on the list we've got bronze tablet from antiquities um moving from two dollars to 450 this is just part of the massive amount of 93 94 era targeting not the format the era um, that's been going on this year. Everybody's just going down the list of bleh, pretty much every card and every set from the first couple of years in Magic, and they're all going up. So these are all nice holds. I'm not selling into any of this hype because the reality is that um, whether or not they can hold the plateaus, um, <laughs> they can only go up from here, really. Slowly, quickly, doesn't really matter. Um, you'll get your chance to out them when the time is right, probably as like a, a portion of a collection. Um, as opposed to onesie twosie on this stuff that went from like two bucks to ten bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up is Entreat the Angels from uh, probably both Modern Masters three Avis and Avison restored foils, uh, fifteen to like thirty five. So a pretty big jump. Uh, that's part. That's again because of Jace. Entreat the Angels is a miracle card. 
Jace is a reliable uh, brainstorm effect to set up Miracle Draws, which is very good. If you've ever played Legacy, you remember Miracles was a huge component of that format and it used Brainstorm and I think they played Jace too. So, uh, in truth, the Angel Foil is getting a bump based on his unbanning. Fire off another one here. Mishra's War Machine, Antiquities card, 93, 94, old card, Black Border, who cares? It's ancient. Um, this next one's interesting. A Johnny Valiant Protector from Aether Revolt foils from 450 to 12. The note here is Saffron Olive combo with Time Stream Navigator, I guess. I guess yeah. that's a thing, uh, which is curious. That seems to be a ridiculous combo to try and set up because Time Stream Navigator, you put it back on your library or under on the bottom of your library and it gives you an extra turn. And then you use a Johnny to... And that must be the only creatures in your deck. So use a Johnny yeah. to just plow through and then play another time stream navigator. So you've got a nice, what, like 12 mana engine going there. Yeah, it's it's crazy talk, but it, it doesn't matter. The Saffron effect. Yeah. <laughs> if if Saff puts it on YouTube and 50,000 people watch it, then the combo jumps. I wonder if, uh, if anyone's buying them. Yeah. Next up is Indulgent Aristocrat from the... Uh, from Shadows Over Innistrad, foils from like 75 cents to $2. So like good luck making any money on that. This is due to some sort of mono black sacrifice deck uh, that we're seeing pop up. It looked like it was over in the Modern IQ in Columbus. Did okay. It plays like Blood Gas, um, Colitis, Obliterator, Nocturnus. This is a vampire deck. Uh, it's a super spicy list. Like... Sometimes lists come out and they're, you know, twenty percent modifications of other lists, and sometimes lists like this come out that are just completely out of left field. Yeah, this is interesting. So it looks like kind of a standard vampire aggro-y type thing, but it uses indulgent aristocrat to sacrifice your blood ghasts to put counters on all of your vampires, which you have a bunch of. Um, like again, gifted aetherborn, colitis, vampire nocturnus. Uh, so it's interesting deck i suppose but you know i don't know no one's making any money on foil indulgent aristocrats especially from 75 cents to two dollars well i don't know foil indulgent aristocrat um like i pulled pulled a russian one the other day that i bothered to put aside because i figured like edh at some point i mean if this deck gets anywhere this is a fringe deck no matter what i don't think it's going to be the next humans it's pretty unlikely that any aggro deck is is the right choice over humans right now um other than maybe boggles but the um, you know, foil uncommon is not really where you want to be. Uh, if it was a rare, I'd be more excited. Yeah, it's uh, going to be hard to, to to do anything with this, but nifty at least. Um, I mean, I guess if the deck actually ends up being good, you could see Vampire Nocturnus move. It's a possibility, I suppose. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen that. Uh, let's see. Up next on our list is Tangle from Invasion. Uh, non-foils, $4.50 to $12. Uh, this isn't too much of a surprise. We saw the Visions copy spike last week. Uh, we, Tangle hasn't been printed, if memory serves me, in a very long time. Uh, so you had like a Visions printing and a Invasion printing was basically it, right? Let me take a quick look here. Bear with me. Uh, yeah, Invasion. Wait, we have I have Visions written down from last week. Wait, did, was this Tangle? Oh, Okay, so I must have been thinking of something else. Tangle was not in Visions. It's only in Invasion. That is the only paper printing. Yeah, and it is a, uh, it's a fog that also uh, keeps all creatures that attacked tapped. So it's part of like 
popper, some sort of popper control deck or fog deck or something like that. I don't know. Popper is dumb, but that's definitely what it's used for. Uh, so it's like that that popper excitement from Channel Fireballs events a couple of weeks ago still kind of holding some momentum. Apparently, the GP in Europe last week or the week before had three hundred plus people at the popper side of him. Another one, huh? That's a, that's a big number. I mean, it's bigger than I've seen any frontier format event get to even in japan yeah it's interesting we'll see how it goes uh you know we've talked about popper a good bit before it's, i just think it's funny that all these popper cards are getting expensive and it's like the antithesis of the format so we'll have to well the funniest part is that people are targeting popper foils right mm-hmm. like if you're participating in the popper culture isn't the whole premise that you want the cheapest deck possible so isn't foiling out your popper deck kind of working against your own interests no <clears throat> So it is. I mean, no one ever blamed Magic players for being too logical. Um, next on our list this week is Thermo Alchemist from Eldritch Moon. We're talking about the foil copies specifically, a dollar fifty to four fifty. Also, pretty confident this is Popper. Uh, card is pretty good there. You can do all sorts of damage to players. Um, kind of, you know, same boat as uh, Tangle and, and all that good stuff. Uh, let's see. We've also got. Feel free to chop, jump in here, James. I'm just trying to give you a break since this is just <laughs> pretty standard stuff. Thermo Alchemist, because it targets all opponents, is also combo-tastic in some EDH decks. It's like 1,500 decks on EDH rec that run it. Yep, which is not, which is pretty good, actually, when you consider um, that type of effect is generally not good enough in EDH, but because it hits all opponents, it's pretty solid, which is cool. Uh, I actually run it in my uh, Rakdos um, Lord of Riots deck. It's pretty solid, and if you build around it, and effects like that, you can do some pretty funny stuff. Um, let's see. Next on our list is Dreadbore from Arch Enemy. Uh, about two to six on the Arch Enemy copies. Now, I don't think the Ravnica copies move. Oops, wrong window. So let me take a quick peek here. So, yeah, the Arch Enemy ones jumped quite a bit. The Ravnica ones are up around five. Really, the, the thing is, is that the Arch Enemy Nickel Bulls copies, there's like no copies left. Um, it's got the foil stamp on the bottom, but that's about it. Uh, that's like the only difference. It doesn't even have the watermark. But this is really, you know, Dreadboard is a several dollar card. Uh, and there's just very few copies of the Arch Enemy ones. But the reason it jumped at all, I believe, is because, again, Jace is around. So now people really want to have an answer to Jace. Uh, destroys Planeswalkers, remember. So um, Dreadboard's uh, stock is definitely a lot higher now than it was not that, you know, two weeks ago. Um, and I know I saw, for instance, Reed playing copies of it last night on stream when he was playing some modern. So, uh, interesting, interesting option there. Um, I didn't, you know, that, that card could easily end up in M25 and yeah. it's not there almost anywhere. So, yeah, there's a huge reprint risk on that, uh, for sure. So I wouldn't be too eager to be hanging on to, uh, to many of these, um, and, you know, now that they're five or six bucks, I'd probably be happy to ship Ravnica or Arch Enemy copies just because. Uh, yeah, if I can, if I can play sets of Dreadbore at 1888 on, on eBay, I'm all about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, this is so, okay. I think the notes got messed up a little bit because the next card is Crypt Rats from 7th, like a dollar to $3. This is also because of Popper. The Crypt Rats Visions jumped last week last week we talked about the visions copies of crypt rats this week it's a seventh edition copies a dollar to three dollars again it's part of the popper deck uh crypt rats has a nifty function that it allows you to just fireball every creature and player um just 
activated ability X deal a ton of damage to everything. Uh, hits itself too. And you can only use black mana, but it is pretty cool because you can generate a ton of mana and then just blow up everything. And if you somehow figure out a way to make your Crypt Rats invincible, you get to keep doing it. Although I don't know if that's an option in Popper. This is probably just used as a, a fireball. Um, in any case, a dollar to three dollars on this on the seventh edition on commons. Uh, can't imagine who has a million copies of these sitting around, but if you do, congratulations. Uh, next up, Avoid Fate from Time Spiral Foils from three and change to $11. This is kind of a funky card. Avoid Fate is a one mana green instant counter target instant or aura spell that targets a permanent you control. So I have, I have Popper in the notes here just because we don't really know what else it would be. I haven't seen it pop up in any um, combo lists or anything like that. And it was a common in Legends, even though it was time shifted. So that's that's my best guess. If you come up with anything better, if I miss something, please let me know. Um, and uh, well, this was the foil. This was the foils, right? So time spiral foils are just getting you know pretty hard to yeah, find. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's that's certainly a component of it, uh, most definitely. And the only other printings in Legends, so there's not a lot of foils of this floating around. Um, Next on our list is Clockwork Avian, the Antiquities card, uh, 10 to 30. It's a very odd card, a lot of text, uh, especially for, oh, I guess it was a rare back then. It's like a four, it's four plus one plus zero counters on it, and you lose them, and you can buy them back, and I don't know, it's a mess, but people are buying up Antiquities cards. What are you going to do? Uh, Tendrils of Corruption from Time Spiral. Uh, also, time spiral foils a dollar fifty to five. Is that correct? Tendrils of corruption. Yeah, this wasn't time. Spiral. That's like Drake. Yeah, it's like a Drake. Yeah, life but it, for I Bobber. was like, wait, this was time shifted, but it wasn't. It was just printed in the set at common. Um, so that's definitely a popper, a popper move. Dollar fifty to five on foil tendrils of corruption. Um, I would be, you know, by the way, on all these popper cards, I would be more than happy to sell them if you've got them floating around. No need to hang on to them. Uh, they're. Uh, well, I mean, I guess you could make the argument that Popper's growing in popularity and it could be a lot more popular later this year or next year. Maybe you see a bit of a Popper explosion and some of these go up a little bit. But, you know, the the, the old rule of selling to the hype is, is still stand. So you can get $5 for your foils, tendrils, or corruptions today. You should definitely take it, especially because given that it's Popper and all of these cards are basically super reprintable and will get smashed if they do get reprinted because suddenly there'll be a million extra copies, I would not be eager to hold on to any of them. Uh, you know, it's one of those, like, if you have a hundred popper cards, hundred, you know, if, if you have a hundred copies of a hundred different popper cards and they all spike, you should sell them all instead of trying to guess which ones won't get reprinted and will go up because for every single popper card that you don't sell and doubles in price between now and, you know, next spring, the other, you know, 85 will all get, you know, many more will get reprinted and drop in price and you will make more money just selling everything today and not worrying about the ones that do spike. Next up on our list is Martyr of Ashes from Cold Snap. Uh, looking into foils, a dollar to three fifty. Another foil card, Martyr of Ashes, is the much less used one. Uh, you reveal Martyr of Sands is the one where you gain a bunch of life. That's a you know in that modern proc rebirth deck. Martyr of Ashes is a red one. You reveal red cards and deal X damage to each creature without flying. So it's sort of an earthquake, but it doesn't hit players as well. But it's a useful board um, a board wipe. Uh, in a format that's generally going to have very few sweepers. There's, you know, you can't play Wrath or anything, so uh, popper players have to work pretty hard to find a way to clear the board. 
Next up is Deathblade Elite from Legions. Yeah. Legions, Deathblade Elite. It's a soldier with provoke. Uh, it fogs itself if you want to for two mana. It's a one mana, one one. What, what is going on in this format? Who is playing this card? Dollar seventy-five, eight dollars. <laughs> what? What? What is happening, Popper? What is happening? What is your format that this card is good? Ah, so, silly speculators picking off foils that were in relatively low supply is all we're looking at I here. I suppose, but who ever? How, how does your format support playing this card? Ah, I guess you could. It's got provoke, which is not terrible. Whatever. Uh, Ayesha Tanaka from Legends. Not foil, of course, $4 to $24. Um, but, you know, there were probably not a lot of copies of this before, not a lot of copies now. It is a really bad card, uh, but certainly just a another Legends original printing type thing. And it is not on the reserve list either, but that won't matter for the Antiquities copies. Uh, Floating Dream Zubera from Champions of Kamigawa, foils from... 50 cents to just under four dollars now you have saffron written down here i guess i missed this one what did he do with floating dreams zubera aside from the obvious answer of the zubera deck yeah it was just a zubera deck the that's why all the zubera foils moved (laughs) okay so i guess zubera combo like waits for all the zuberas to die and then like they discard their all their hands you draw a bunch of cards and and you get a bunch of creatures and blah 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 okay and I think the I think the red one, Ember, Zubera, or whatever deals the damage. Uh, okay, sure. Whatever uh whatever you guys, whatever. Uh, and finally for the week, Kei Takashi, another Legends card, non-foils, two to like twenty, another really bad card, if memory serves me. This is the dude in front of the circle. Uh Kei Takahashi. The dude uh, in front of the circle. Prevents two damage. Four mana two two that prevents two damage. So powerful card there. Good luck. Selling this, to- yeah. Ex- expecting a lot of damage prevention effects in M twenty five at Mythic. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna such, such a hot. We're gonna commodity. get the one mana cycle back. We're gonna get healing salve, and we're gonna get ancestral vision Ooh. recall and lightning bolt and uh, dark ritual. It's gonna be great. All right, so segment. Two, so this basically this week it's like all popper and ninety three ninety four stuff and a couple Jace cards thrown in. So okay. Uh, segment two of cards to watch cards james and i have our eyes on for possible uh potential gainers here are you uh are you up to talking about your cards here james yeah let's okay. let's dive right in the um a couple of good ones for you guys this week i was looking at uh defense of the heart specifically the judge promos at 14 dollars as something that's probably going to hit 30 at some point for 100 percent plus gain i have confidence level on that at least eight um, original foils at 35 also seem good. Uh, it only shows up in like 4,300 EDH decks, but both versions of the card are rare and in relatively low supply. And I've got to think that this card is underplayed in EDH. It's an enchantment for four. It only has one color requirement. When it comes into play, if it <laughs> if it survives a turn where any of your opponents have three or more creatures, which is super easy in most metas, um, you get to pull any two creatures out of your deck. And if you're playing a competitive deck, that probably kills everybody on the spot. And if you're playing a more funzy deck, then you get to do bonkers things. Yeah, this card is like kind of like the green 
demonic tutor. It's really powerful and very easy to trigger. Uh, basically, the only time this doesn't go off is if you play it into an empty board or if people blow it up ahead of you, uh, ahead of you untapping. It's a very powerful card. Uh, I didn't realize the judge promos of this were only fifteen dollars. It's actually quite tempting because it's um, yeah, it's really good and it. At 4,300 decks, I'm inclined to agree with you that this is underplayed. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a card that from back in the day that in a one-on-one scenario against control decks, it didn't do anything because they don't have any creatures. So then you got to jump through hoops with like um, the, the random land that gives your your opponent a 1-1 spirit token or whatever, whatever that card's called that people do with Hunted Horror was, and all uh, that. Forbidden Orchard. They played it with um, yeah. both of the both of uh, Druids and Vintage. Druids. Yeah. Yeah, you can do all sorts of busted stuff like that. But in EDH against three or four opponents, it's just way more straightforward, right? Like someone's going to have three creatures and they're going to have it early and you're playing Soul Ring. So you can play this thing on like turn two. It is a good way to make sure no one ever wants to play with you again. If you if you go that route. <laughs> I mean, you can just like pull out two big silly things. Like they don't have to be instant co- win combos. I mean, the more I play EDH, the less I'm interested in like instant combos. And it's just forcing everybody to reshuffle such a drag. If you really want to play Defense of the Heart correctly, you play it, you go get, um, uh, shoot, I forget the name of the card, Oromancer that returns enchantments from your graveyard to your hand. So then you can <laughs> just loop, just loop <laughs> Defense of the Heart triggers. Be like, yeah, I'm going to trigger Defense of the Heart nice. every time, but I'm going to get common three, three mana commons every time. So don't worry about it. It's an easy to cast, open-ended, two-part tutor in green that can go get any busted disc that's printed from before or after this moment in time. Um, and you can get the judge foils for $14. So enough said. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty good. Did not know that. Uh, my next, my first card this week is Avenger of Zendikar, uh, available in both World Wake and Commander 2013. Pick up non-foils for about five bucks right now. Um, and if you were playing back in the Zendikar era, that sound probably might sound kind of crazy to you. These used to be like $20 or something like that. Currently in 22,000 EDH decks, this is a premier green finisher. And if you've ever had this cast against you in EDH, you understand why this is a premier green finisher. Um, you know, it's seven mana. So by the time you cast in it, you're getting at least seven tokens. And it's not uncommon to pick up like 15 or 20 tokens. And then you play a couple land drops. Maybe you save the fetch. Suddenly they're all two, three, they're three, fours. If you've got, you know, you toss her out an Urbrask or, you, you know, whatever, fires the Yavimaya, suddenly you're like swinging for 80 damage in one turn. So it is a really potent card in the format. It's always going to be a staple green card. A good choice to get with Defense of the Heart. In fact, Defense of the Heart, get Avenger Zendikar and like Urbrask and then play a land, you play fetch land, crack it. All sorts of nifty stuff. Um, the other thing that the other reason I want to talk about it is that Turboland is looking like one of the cards that people are excited about playing with Jason Modern. Aside from just like the standard, like oh yeah, he's in control. It's sort of like, well, what do we? What can we do other than the really obvious answers? And Turboland seems to be one of those choices. Uh, people are talking about it, and Avengers Endicar is kind of is one of the finishers in that deck. Um, so there's going to be newfound appreciation for this card in modern where generally there wasn't any. Um, so you've got really stable modern demand, uh, you know, not a huge supply and a, uh, a new reason to play the card as well. So an interesting card. The only thing that I'm worried about here is a reprint because it's, this is the type of card Wizards is going to be inclined to come back to every now and then. But if you dodge it in Masters 25, you're probably pretty safe for this for a while. 
um, you know, with copies at five bucks, it, it seems like we could easily see 10, 12, maybe even $15 uh, as long as it doesn't get reprinted next month. Yeah. The thing is that with Azusa confirmed for this set, there could be a lands come into play theme in the green, in the green deck. And Avenger is due for a reprint. If it dodges, it's a good spec. I, I would wait to see since we're spoiler season is right on top of us. Before I dive dove in on this one, I would want to make sure it's not in the set. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're talking about Judge Defense of the Hearts, you don't really have to wait for Masters 25. But in general, you don't buy anything the week before a master set gets spoiled. Uh, it's just too risky. Anything likely to appear, which we're going to get into shortly. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you got next for us? So I was surprised to see that Whip of Erebos is in 14,000 EDH decks. Yeah. That is a lot of decks. Um, and because its name references Theros lore specifically, it's one of those cards that's tricky to reprint outside of a master set. But I don't see any reason for it to show up right now in M25. So again, I think this is a case where you make reality check that it's not in this set. And if it's not, um, I would go ahead and move in on foils at $5. Um, with an exit target somewhere in the $15 range. Yeah, this I do really like this. I talked about this a while ago. I mean, it's certainly been long enough, but I know that I have mentioned this before on the cast because it's uh, a very appealing card um, in that regards. People don't realize sometimes, I think, how popular it is. Uh, and I mean, it, it is real good in that format, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, lifelink is great on your creatures. And then bringing creatures back is uh, sets up all sorts of bustedness. Yeah, like Avengers and a cars. <laughs> uh, right. My other card this week is uh, Omnath, <coughs> Locus of Rage. And I had to double check that I didn't talk about this card before, but apparently I haven't. Uh, Omnath, Locus of Rage, that like the Omnath from Battle for Zendikar that nobody cared about, <clears throat> is the eighth most played commander on EDA track. Like, it was really oddly popular. Uh, but sure, whatever. Foils are five bucks. Five bucks for one of the most popular EDH generals in the format. Uh, which is, to me is it's kind of wild. Supply is not too deep. Uh, you're looking at like less than thirty sellers on TCG Player right now, um, and most of them only have one or two copies. There's not not really a lot of people with thirty and forty foil omnaths. So certainly uh, worth considering in that regard. Um, there's the only printing is the pack foils and you know the the pre-release foils you could get of every single battle for Zendikar card, so there's not going to be too deep a supply on those guys. Um, this is a type of card that Wizards would reprint, but it's the type of card they will reprint um, in, in like the rare slot in a commander deck, which means you get a bunch more copies, but you don't get any foil copies. So foil on Nath, Locus of Rage, specifically pack foils, I'm definitely on board with. Yeah, they could print this in a master set. It doesn't necessarily have to show up in a in a commander deck um, because it didn't start in one. If it if it was a, originally a commander from a commander deck, then I the reprint risk would be in like a commander anthology product. Um, but since we know that they're not doing commander masters anytime soon, and my aforementioned idea, they're doing another anthology set this year, which will probably is going to be four decks from the first few years of the format. Um, yeah, these foils should be fine. I mean, I'm a little concerned about uh, foil generals because only Atraxa made me any money. Like, I went in on Atraxa and Brea at the same time, and Brea's barely moved. Um, and Brea being number two and not getting anywhere doesn't really give me high hopes for most of the other commanders. Yeah. It seems like 
it seems like what happens is a commander comes out, people acquire it either through the deck that it was associated with or because it's been released in a standard legal set. They get their commander up front and play with it. Down the road, I think that the onboarding of people into older commanders is much lower. Um, so like, for instance, if you onboard into commander in 2018, you tend to pick a commander that was available in the market prevalently in command in 2018. So either something from the commander 2018 products or the commander 2017 products or something out of a standard legal set. Um, you don't tend to go back to a Drax and pick it up um, because there's more resistance on you doing that. Uh, I don't think that's incorrect. I, my, my thought on Brea is I wonder if that, if that has to do with the volume available um, on a card like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the, the supply on a battle for Zendikar mythic would be can, relative to a, the commander products, but commander products are pretty heavily printed. So there could be a lot of Breas out there relative to something like an Omnath, you know, just in general commander set commanders probably have a higher inventory than these types of cards and battle for Zenikar sucked. So people were not opening a lot of it and we knew it sucked at the time too. Well, there are, it looks like there are more Breas available on TCG than there are Omnaths. So that speaks to the point somewhat, but, but I, I do agree with you though, that people, um, the, the rate of acqui- of people playing old commanders might be less than we are perhaps inclined to think it is. That's yeah. believable for sure. I think like what you want to look at is like how quickly does the curve ascend for a new commander and then level off. Um, Atraxa is not just to the moon, right? Like Atraxa was extremely popular when she was announced and has been relatively steady as the top commander since, but wouldn't surprise me if something overtook her down the road um, on fresh popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Eventually I'm sure. Uh, okay. Do you have one last card you want to talk about? So the last one on my list this week is uh, Blood Gift Demon. Uh, Another big EDH card that is overlooked. 10,000 EDH decks on EDH uh, Rec, or sorry, (coughs) EDHrec.com. And um, buy-in price on the foils is about four bucks. I would be looking at Exodies somewhere between 12 and 15. Um, This was originally printed in Innistrad and hasn't seen another printing since. I don't see any reason to believe that they will randomly print this anywhere other than in the commander product and therefore no foils, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. I didn't realize that this hasn't been printed again. Um, this is a cool card. Uh, very useful. It's like the bigger dark confidant, right? Yeah. Essentially. Okay. That's good to know about. Uh, okay. So let's move on to segment three, our topic of the week. You've put together quite a list here for us of cards I guess it, it was mostly you for cards for Masters 25. Um, do you want to talk about it or do you want me to run through the list a little bit? Well, let me set it up a little bit. Basically, what we're looking to do here heading into spoiler season for Masters 25 is review the factors that are in play that might influence whether or not there's anything that we can take action on this late in the game. So there's a bunch of things going on. We know that, for instance, Iconic Masters didn't do as well as they had hoped and was widely considered to be um, negative from a few perspectives. A, they removed the Master sets from LGS-only status, weakening their the support they provide on specialty products to their LGSs and broadened it to you know, any and all retailers. Um, the Because of that factor and potentially overprinting the set, 
um, the set dropped down to as low as $140, which is a full 100 bucks below MSRP, which is kind of a crazy number, um, and was you know widely available um, as a result, which crashed most of the in, in rares that were involved. Um, the set was confusing thematically because it was bridging up against the imminent M25 set, which everybody assumed would be a nostalgia play, um, iconic, was very poor choice of wording. They, they meant it in terms of here are the theme is the most iconic creatures in the game and tribes built around them, but that's not something the rest of us related to in the slightest. And so, you know, the, the core audience for the set was not immediately obvious. And then there's also the, the ongoing, um, uh, controversy about cardstock quality, um, iconic masters, as with all of the rivals um, of Ixalan and Ixalan product, um, has extremely low card quality that warps very easily in any um, in the uh, presence of moisture and or humidity changes. Um, I've opened packs from those sets that just like don't sit straight on the desk right out of the pack, which is just disgusting. Um, they feel flimsier. Um, and I suspect that that will have some impact on which versions of cards printed in those sets people are interested in in the long term. Um, so all of that suggests that Wizards really has to hit this one out of the park. It's the it's also the 25th anniversary, obviously, of the game we all know and love. Um, and that's a pretty exciting milestone. Like credit where credit is due. They kept a car, a paper tabletop card game in the era of video games becoming the dominant form of entertainment on the planet. Um, as a 300 million plus a year product globally printed in multiple languages for like a quarter century. A long time. <laughs> when you pretty say impressive. like that, a quarter century. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I've been, I've been playing this game <laughs> since first year university, which dates me. Um, and, but I was young when I got there. So the... You know, the, there's a lot riding on this set. It's both the flagship you know, set for their, their anniversary. It's the one that, you know, media articles where they're written will be written about outside of our, of the insular magic community. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of expectation from, from fans that this make up for some of the disappointment, disappointment related to iconic masters. Now, that being said, um, I suspect we're still going to have the cardstock issue. Um, they're still being released at big box stores. Um, I was able to get, uh, pre-order boxes on eBay like three weeks ago at 155 uh, a box. Um, they're back up into the like 170 to 190 range, I, I believe now, but that's still significantly below MSRP. And once we get through spoiler season, we'll have a better sense of, you know, whether uh, the price I paid is going to be especially good or mediocre. Um, we have a few cards confirmed. We know that Jace the Mind Sculptor is in there. Um, and now that he's unbanned and modern, that's a pretty big deal. He's likely... Um, you know, he was 50 to $60 heading into this whole, uh, set of shenanigans. And now he's sitting in and around a hundred dollars for the non-foil copies. Um, original foils are hundreds and hundreds now that he's back to being a modern, uh, staple and are probably going to be the most expensive card in modern for quite some time. The original world wake foils, Japanese, Russian, et cetera. Those are going to be pretty big deal. I cards. saw, I saw um, a picture and I don't know if, I don't know if it was real or I didn't catch a date, but I saw a photo of a, World Wake Russian foil Jace at uh, 6,800. It was sold at 6,800. Gross. So um, we know there's Jace. We know we're getting Azusa lost but seeking. 
and uh, we know we're getting Phyrexian Obliterator. We also know that there's going to be 15 Mythics and probably something like 54 Rares. That's consistent with other Master sets. Um, and if we go back to Modern Masters 2017, which, which is the highest EV of most of the Master sets, and the one I think that it, they are most likely to model against. Um, you know, Iconic Masters was kind of a weird mixed bag. Um, MM17 was was more focused on like making sure that key reprints got into the system and that people were excited about the set. I think we're going to get a similar theme here, and I would expect that the overall EV of the set will be pretty close to what we saw with MM17, maybe juiced like plus 10 or 15%. So if we go back to the research that I did, I've been running a like uh, a running tally on values from MM17 for most of the year, um, I, I learned a couple of things. So the original package of 15 Mythics from MM17, this was Tarmogoy, Liliana of the Veil, vale, Cavernous Soul, Snapcaster, Linvala, Creator Hoof, Behemoth, Voice of Resurgence, etc., um, was worth $471 before they had announced anything. Three months after its release in like late April of 2017, it had dropped down to $278. Um, so it had fallen uh, off by, let me just look up my numbers here. So the value had dropped to 280, which was a localized loss of about 40%. Fast forward to today, and those same mythics are now back up to about 390. So what that means is that there was probably no impetus to sell your mythics into um, the failings of those cards because um, while the the current figures, like the the rebound has not gotten them back to what they once were, it's within about 17% of the original reprint value. And if you sold them on eBay or whatever, you're probably going to lose about 17% on shipping plus fees between PayPal's fees and and uh, eBay's fees, PayPal's fees, and shipping. So the Mythics looked like they were relatively reasonable to just keep holding. Um, and in fact, what you should have done is waited till the lows and then bought in because they've rebounded about 40% since then. So if, you, if the basket of Mythics from these sets, from the good versions of these sets, can rebound 40%, then that's you know, a slam dunk opportunity, assuming that the Mythics are you know, relatively comparable in terms of their overall demand profile. If they pull a fast one, like they did with FTV20, where they gave us Jace and then gave us a pile of garbage, um, then, then you're probably not, you may, may want to stay clear. That would be that. disappointing, especially <laughs> given that it's M25, Master 25. And I don't think that's where, where we're going to end up. So given that the Mythics were worth 470 or so, um, for MM17, M25 Mythics, I peg somewhere between 450 and 550. Um, so here's my short list of what I think is the best I can come up with in terms of what is likely to be included. Keeping in mind that one of the factors is they tend to be evenly distributed amongst colors. Um, so for instance, in if we look at the distribution in Iconic Masters, it was three of each color, no lands, and no gold cards at Mythic. In MM17, it was two of each color, then one land and three gold cards. So what that says is amongst the five primary colors, um, you're likely to have an even distribution, which is not terribly surprising. So therefore, if we've already got Jace uh, blue, my thinking is the other card is Force of Will. We did just get it in Eternal Masters, but it's hard to argue that it's not the most iconic counterspell of all time. 
no matter which version of the art they use, that art is iconic. Um, and, you know, everybody wants forces and it's held up well to the test of time. And we've seen that if Tarmogoyf can be printed th- in three master sets back to back, then we can certainly get Force of Will again, even though we just got it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Which, which uh, you know, you're you're super juicing blue if you put both Jace and Force of Will in there. Uh, that's definitely your your best color, I suppose. But that's fine, I think. And you know, especially when you start considering the other options for the other colors, it's going to be hard to see where else you can really put super exciting cards. Uh, green is also. Uh, green really shows where that uh, starts to become a problem. Yeah, so in green, I've I've got like Vengevine, which is in need of a reprint, plus maybe a green Planeswalker, like a Garrick or a Nissa. Hard to say which one. I'm thinking like Garrick Wildspeaker takes up a like value slot, like a low value mythic slot. Um, people have thrown out things like Scapeshift and Food Chain, but I could see those as rares. Uh, food Chain being held for some other like slot down the road, some more like like Eternal Masters two style set. Um, and Scapeshift has no reason to be at Mythic; could easily just be a rare. Um, in white, I think we're probably going to get Stoneforge Mystic and Elspeth Sons Champion. Elspeth is kind of the poster child for the Theros block. Um, and I think that the gods from Theros are probably going to get held back for a more modern-y focused set down the road where they can like use them to fill up, fill up the like five, one of each color, color five mythic slots that makes like managing the rest of the EV easy in some other mm. set. Yep. Which is fair, I think. Um, <clears throat> and Elspeth is like three years out from her printing. It's a great card. Occasionally sees play in modern. Um, certainly can sees play in EDH, and it's just a good casual card overall. It's just a great white planeswalker, and no matter which version of the art they use, also iconic um, from its era. Anyway, Stoneforge Mystic is obviously would be upshifted from rare to mythic, but that seems fair given that it's a thirty dollars card that really only sees play in Legacy. Yeah, the, and the the tricky part with Stoneforge Mystic is they just made that the promo. That was a GP promo uh, last year, two years ago. Uh, so there's a lot of that floating around at the moment. In fact, so you can even sell, like they can put that in at, essentially at a lower price point, like put it put it in as a cheaper card than they would otherwise simply because uh, of those GP promos. And the GP promos are, are awesome and the art's better than the original. So if it was me, I would own the, the promos. If you believe that the promo holds Mystic back from being printed, then your other options are things like Baneslayer Angel, which hasn't seen a printing in a while, um, and was an iconic standard card in its time. Land Tax could be one of the white mythics. Um, so I could see like Elspeth plus Land Tax. Um, I was surprised. I thought Land Tax was an EMA, but apparently not. Yeah, that was weird. I also thought that it had been printed more recently. I was surprised when you said that it wasn't. I guess I'm confused because Mother of Runes and um, Enlightened Tutor were both in there, right? Um, so maybe I just mixed up my my white one drops. The um, Land Tax is certainly a nostalgia card. Um, it's utterly broken, so not something you want at rare. Um, the other option would be like Ravages of War as the Portal 3K card, which is basically just a renamed Armageddon. Um, also a card you don't want popping up in draft too often, but that people might think is cool. So over in the Artifacts and Colorless department, we know that we've seen art for something that's either Blightsteel Colossus or Platinum Imperion. 
So one of those two. Or Dark Steel Colossus. Or people have said like Steel Overseer or Arcbound Ravager. But I, I looked at the like the pointiness on the armor, and it's to me it's pretty clear that it's either Platinum Imperion or Blight Steel Colossus. And given um, <laughs> the pointiness of the armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look at the original art for both Blight Steel and Platinum, there's like these spikes that come off the arms, which is present in the new art as well. Um so I'm pretty sure it's one of those two. You were thinking dark steel, but I don't think so. It doesn't, it doesn't, the spiky, the spiky armor thing doesn't show up on that card. Uh, um, that's, that's per, that's perhaps <clears throat> reading a little farther into that than probably is necessary. Well, like if they're doing commissioning new art, the guy's going to go back and look at the representation of the character from the previous art. And they're going to read through the design notes for the set, which would have said, that when you are uh, when you you have the this kind of metal attached to you, it has these pointy spiky parts um, that are that like grow like spurs or whatever. So, and I don't think dark steel is really a card that any, anybody's clamoring for, right? Whereas both blight blight steel and um, platinum imperion have roles to play in various formats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that like dark steel colossus is a chase card, but it is like a six or seven dollar mythic, and we haven't seen it since M10. You can also go back and look at the um, the Archbound Ravager art from Mirrodin to Modern Masters was a pretty big change. The Modern Mas the Mirrodin art was very beastly and organic for a robot, uh, whereas the Modern Masters art was much like slicker. Um, sort of neo future robot type thing. So they they will definitely tweak the the style guide there as appropriate if they need to. Yeah. Bottom line, any of those those artifact creatures that could be that card probably don't buy those just yet. Um, yep. The and if if you believe that Stoneforge Mystic is the white mythic, then I would guess that either Jitte or Batterskull are the other artifact slot. Um, if there is one. Um, on the basis that you want to have some kind of high-end equipment to go search up um, with the card. And Jit is super iconic. I mean, um, utterly busted. So you definitely can't print it at anything but Mythic. And, you know, Batter Skull also needs a reprint. So that's also a possibility. And it's also the classic uh, partner card with Stoneforge. So um either of those i could see happening and then in red red's pretty tough like there's just not a lot of stuff i mean there's imperial recruiter which definitely needs the reprint but it's like 400 dollars. so even if it was to crash 70 or 80 percent it still eats up a huge chunky ev and it's played in like one deck in legacy that hardly anybody cares about so i'm not even sure it fulfills the nostalgia quotient even in say china um, so I think it's much more likely that one of the, the mythics would be something like Through the Breach, and the other would be something like Koth of the Hammer, or maybe Scourge of the Throne, the overpriced dragon from Conspiracy Block. Um, oh man, I hope not. <laughs> any, of the, any of those things. Yeah, I hope it's not Scourge of the Throne, because I just opened a foil the other day, and I definitely want to unload that before it sees a reprint. Um, Imperial Recruiter would be really tough, just because like it's so expensive in whatever version you're talking about. Uh, so it's, it takes up a huge amount of like value in the set. Uh, and also nobody cares about the card. So it's just like, Oh, I opened Imperial Recruiter. Great. What am I going to do with this? I mean, I guess some people would play in EDH, but I don't think the demand is there for it. Uh, 
Also, by the way, did you remember that From the Vault lore existed? Because I just looked up GK while you were talking, and I see that it was from the NASA, yeah. and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that was a while existed. ago. Then. Yeah, but I just mean, like, I forgot that they printed that. It was Yeah. I mean, because of the FTV foiling, no one's ever really made a big no. deal of it. The, um, in black, we know we're getting Phyrexian Obliterator. So that leaves one other slot, probably. And I, I would imagine, I think we both agree, it's Demonic Tutor, right? Yeah, I think demonic calling demonic tutor is probably probably the best of all of the like things that we're guessing are in the set. I think demonic tutor is probably one of the the best guesses. I mean, they printed vampiric tutor at rare, I believe, in EMA. I um, know uh, that was mythic. Oh, was it mythic? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that that suggests that it's demonic will also be mythic. Um, in which case, that locks down black. Like you could also argue that it's a Liliana, either of the Veil or Last Hope, or some lesser Liliana like Liliana Vess. Some people have said Imperial Seal instead of Demonic Tutor. I suppose that's possible. Um, but again, yeah, I don't, these, these hyper expensive P three K cards seem problematic um, in terms of the turbulence they create on EV. I mean. You can just you can argue that some of these cards will just crash so hard it won't be a big deal, um, but if they don't crash hard enough, then the, it really can inflate like impact the inflationary pressure on the boxes if you do it, do that kind of thing enough times. The other thing is that from P three K they can just take relentless assault, which is like a dollar, throw it in at rare and tick that box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't like the idea. I don't like Imperial Seal either. You have to remember that like. People, people who are guessing the contents of the box like that are very are oriented as a player in one direction. But Wizards has to try and get a, a lot of different groups interested in it. And how are you getting like super casual players to care? You have to print cards that they want. So things like, for instance, Demonic Tutor are a great way to make sure your more casual players and commander players like have an interest in opening packs. Um, you know, and if your other stuff is like Jace and Force of Will and Stoneforge cards that they, you know, they don't need in Commander as much or what have you, uh, they're going to be, it, it, those cards aren't going to get casual players and Commander players to crack packs as much, but the cards like Demonic Tutor are definitely for a different subset of players. So you got to remember that they're trying to hit a lot of bases with these. Yeah. And, and that's the whole reason that they moved the Master Set. The article this week talked about they're going to change masters and they're not going to be focused on formats anymore. They're going to be focused on themes, which means it unlocks them from being tying all the cards to a specific format. So they're going to try and hit all of their market segments, competitive, collector, casual, EDH player with each of these products to make sure everyone has a reason to buy it. So putting those types of cards in is, is going to be important to them. Well, and they're doing that because they're running out of r- runway on the modern master sets, right? Like they're they're caught up pretty much, so they got to give that a breathing some breathing space till probably like late 2019 or something. They yeah. ran out of runway space last year. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, there's still like people like to talk about how reprints are are ever present and a constant threat, but the reality is that like of the cards we're going to list today, only a fraction of them are going to get printed here, um, and only a fraction of them are going to get printed this year. So any anything that was Things are still getting two to three years on average um, to to recover. And that recovery that I talked about where it came up 40% from the lull after MM17 isn't done yet because most of those cards aren't going to show up here. So for instance, part of the, a big part of the value in MM17 was the rare cycle of fetch lands and those enemy fetches are not going to get reprinted for a while. And so they're going to continue to, to appreciate over time. Um, and likewise for most of the mythics. 
So some other cards that are, are worth considering. I mean, it's possible that there's going to be a Planeswalker of each color in the Mythics. Um, that might be a thing you might want to do for the M25 set. So something to ponder. Um, some other cards that I left off the list after considering them. Ugin the Spirit Dragon is going to need a reprint at some point in the next few years. Doesn't have to be now. Um, Leovold Emissary of Trust from Conspiracy 2 is sitting at about $38 and could be one of the Mythics here. Um, filling a gold slot. Um, uh, Mox Opal was last seen in Modern Masters 2015 and was left out of 2017. And since it doesn't look like it's going to get banned anytime soon in, in the format, it will definitely need a reprint in the next couple of years. Again, doesn't need to be right now. Um, that one's a little tricky if you don't have theming to support it in the set. Um, but uh, a card to consider. We're going to get Masters... Uh... A master's expeditions and it will be a master set full of cards that were printed in the um masterpieces set masters masters pieces so a master meta. set full of cards that were printed in masterpieces as masterpieces <laughs> well i'm a little surprised and then that you they get didn't... all the invocation all the inventions so you can fit you have the metal crafts theme to support mox opal so there, there was a really obvious way to tie, to capture nostalgia, do an excellent marketing campaign, and do an end run around the reserve list with the M25 set that, so far as we know, they're not doing. And I think it's a huge miss. They should have gone out and bought a Beta Black Lotus and a bunch of other cool old cards. And they should have included golden tickets for them in the packs, similar to what they did with Treasures in the original printing of Zendikar. Um because that lets you put Black Lotus in M25 without actually reprinting it, which is awesome. We don't know that they didn't do that, though, right? We don't, but I, I, I suspect they would already be making noise about it. Like, there's, there's no reason to not be making noise about that, as is. They never uh, told anyone about the Zendikar one. Yeah, but it, it therefore didn't help sell as many packs as it would have. <laughs> if you announce it, if you give it time to build up Steam and social media, um, then you're going to get maximum benefit. Well, so, the, the, the right choice and what Wizards does are not necessarily the same thing. I mean, I was just listening to, I had a, I had a, a PUBG player on street, on Twitch the other day while I was doing some busy work at work and they were getting ready to go to this event. And he's like, I don't understand. He's like, we couldn't tell people that we were going to this tournament until like three days ahead of time. Like that's how the organizers wanted it. They were revealing their guests one at a time. And it's like, which I don't understand at all because like, I haven't been able to talk about it on stream. I haven't been able to get people excited about it or hyped about it. I've just had to keep my mouth shut until like three days before the event. And he's like, that's the wrong way to do it. But for some reason, that's what they did. Well, wizards could do the same thing, like not tell anyone that they were putting black tickets in or tickets in for black lotuses until like the day before the set comes out or like at release or something like that. So it, well, I wouldn't say it's a good idea. It's not out of sight of the realm of possibility that they would do that. The thing is you don't even have to have a bunch of them. Like it's not about like, it's not about the odds being good of getting that Lotus. In fact, I think you can just go buy the hundred thousand dollar perfect 10 or 9.5 alpha Lotus. that's on eBay right now. And for, nothing in the grand scheme of things like a hundred grand you could easily sell an extra million dollars worth of product right like if everybody knows the best lotus of all time is potentially in their packs that's going to drive sales because humans are not rational and they they cannot tell the difference between a one in hundred chance and a one in a billion chance 
Magic players love to gamble. Yes. So, I mean, I, I, I don't get it. Um, I'm not sure if there's like, if the golden ticket thing runs afoul, afoul of gambling laws. Um, not 100% on that. But there's probably, there's got to be some way to do it. Like you basically just have to, I, my understanding is that with those kind of scenarios, you have to have like a skill testing question they, they answer um, as an alternative to buying packs or something. Like you can send in ballots instead of buying packs. But anyway, uh, I think that's going to be a miss. Um, let's move on to the rares. There's a whole bunch of cards that have a solid shot at showing up here. It's going to be a lot harder to peg it down because the list is so much longer. You have 54 total rares, most of which are bulk. About half of them are bulk. Um, last time, cards over 2 or $3 was something like 24 rares. Um, so here's top of my list. Crucible of Worlds. About a $60 card from 5th down. Needs a reprint. Um, I would expect to see Dark Confidant again. Um, easy include, especially if they're, they're going back and using the original art, then it makes perfect sense. Um, doubling Season desperately needs a reprint. Yeah. And in theory, I guess could be placed at mythic, but it doesn't seem all that necessary. We've already seen it at rare, um, in modern masters. So makes sense. We would see it in that slot again here. Uh, we know we're getting Azusa lost, but seeking. So that's one of the other green ones. Engineered explosives needs a reprint. That's about 42 bucks right now. My pick for, I asked this question on Twitter this week and people were consensus was in agreement that the world way creature lands are the most likely cycle of rare lands to get. So that celestial colonnade, creeping tar pit, et cetera. Um, that set works well here because the EV is mostly um, drained by celestial colonnade and creeping tar pit and the other three are $10 and, and below. So that works well. The alternative would be the scars of Mirrodin fast lands. So black cleave cliffs, et cetera. They haven't never seen a reprint. That could be uh, an inclusion here. Whichever one isn't included, expect to see some price pressure on for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we could see bitter. We could see bitter blossom here. You think we're going to get uh, a rare cycle of lands? Yeah, I don't see why we wouldn't. I mean, I, I suspect that this this set needs some color fixing, and both it, there's there's a backlog of rare lands that need reprinting that aren't easy to reprint in standard. Um, the Zendikar creature lands are potentially too powerful for standard. Like Colonnade is pretty busted in control in standard. Um, generally speaking, the scars lands are easier to print, but because they have, um, plane specific names, I suspect that they might save them until we go back to that plane. Yeah, I suppose I, I, it seems like they have been a little reluctant to print land cycles and expansion sets like this. Um, you know, the fetch lands were the first time we had seen that happen in like a master set, I believe. Uh, you would get one or two like utility lands, but you weren't getting mana fixing cycles. And you can do mana fixing on common really easily. Um, and then that way, because you can't even really rely on rare lands as mana fixing anyways, right? Like you don't see them enough. Uh, so you have to, if you need mana fixing, you have to put it at uncommon and even common. Uh, that being said, they do need reprints and it, it shapes, especially the World Wake lands, shape standard pretty heavily. Um, in a way that like scars lands don't. So I, I would be, I doubt you'll see the scars lands reprinted just because I don't know why they would bother to put them here. It's just a really weird fit and they fit in the standard just fine. Um, but the, I guess the world wake man lands are certainly a more viable just because of what that does to standard. Yeah. The bottom of my list would be like some combination of shocks and or fetches. Um, 
But because they're like 10, 10 part cycles and we're going back to Ravnica in the fall and so forth, like I, I think they're going to leave well enough alone there. I suspect that we see KTK fetches in the next modern themed master set and that the um, that the shocks might be in re- the next Ravnica set in the fall. Yo, yeah, I, I, I smart money is on shocks being in Ravnica. You can't expect that to not be the case. Yeah, and and they've actually and after not making anybody any money for the first few years after Ravna came out, they've actually appreciated reasonably well. Like on the key ones like Steam Vents and Halifen, you've doubled your money since the lows. Uh they have man, they have definitely finally <laughs> picked up a little bit, but too little, too late. I've been getting rid of mine now for a while because it's just it's been too long. And with Ravnik on the horizon, I'm like, I don't really want to be playing chicken with this particular train. Yeah. Um, so part of this depends on like how heavy the gold card contingent is in this set. Um, you know, obviously the more gold cards you have, the more mana fixing you're going to need. Um, so as the spoilers un, you know, unfurl themselves over the next couple of weeks, we're going to, and I don't know if we're getting everything this week or they're doing it over a two week cycle this time. Um, but early clues will help to fill in the blanks here. Some of the other rares and um, just to quickly go through Avenger of Zendikar, we mentioned earlier, Coligan's command out of Dragons of here seems like a solid pick. Um, Meddling Mage out of Alara Reborn as uh, due for a reprint. Exquisite Blood out of Avacyn Restored. Glenelendra Archmage out of Eventide. We haven't seen since I think Modern Masters. Um, Birds of Paradise, I think we're going to get over Noble Hierarch. Um, I don't think we're going to get Hierarch again. Uh, I think it's Birds if we're playing this nostalgia game. Um, that also probably means we're getting Wrath of God. Um, and I don't know that you can print Reality Smasher or Thought Not Seer here because unless you have a, like you're reprinting the Tron lands and you have wastes being printed, it's going to be tough to support the colorless. Yeah, I think unless the, unless the rare land cycle is pain lands. Yeah, I, I do agree that getting the, uh, Eldrazi in, I don't think they're going to put the Eldrazi in because it really screws up the mana that's available in the format in order for those to work. Um, and then that eats up some of the space they might want to use on another set in the future. Yeah. So that's my quick take on what I think might be here. So what can you take action on? Well, what we know from what happened in the mythics played out equally in a, in a similar fashion on the rares in MM17. Um, so for instance, the, Top rares in M17 were worth about f- just under 600 when before they were announced. Um, by April of that year, they had declined 57% down to that basket being worth about 256. So holding on to your rares is much more di- dangerous than holding on to the mythics that might be reprinted. And as of today, that same basket has recovered just to 340. So that's a 43% decline from the pre-reprint price, but a 33% gain. So you're still talking a 30-40% gain from lows. So I think the think the play here is hold most of your your mythics that have high demand if they are only propped up because they are especially rare and not because they are in high demand. Something like Rashad and Port, I think is likely to crash pretty hard in the same way that Caracas did when it was reprinted. Mm-hmm. Um but stuff like Jace you know, a reprint of Tarmogoy for Liliana or whatever is likely to hold. You're looking at what's a four of in a, in a major format um, or is especially sought after by EDH players. Um, the rares, if you've got an opportunity to unload them in quantity, 
prior to an announcement, you're probably going to be in better shape. And then the real play here is to wait till April or so and then buy up everything good. Um, and if you see desperate people like racing to the bottom in the first couple of weeks of release, all the better. Um, I also suspect that if this set is juiced, my $150 boxes are going to be pretty great because I think it's going to be relatively easy to get 150 to 220 in value. Um, and then, and that's, that's value like heading into like peak decline, at which point you can then pick up some additional copies and then plan to flip them out in about 12 months. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. You're my, you know, you you kind of outline the strategy of the MM17 stuff, right? Like let them take their hit that, you know, that, that large hit early on and then start scooping up the ones that are well positioned to rebound afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's worth pointing out that it wasn't like, uh, you know, just a, a round of averages with the M17 Mythics. Like, I think it was eight of the 15 had 20% plus gains from their lows. Um, and some of the two or three of them were even higher. And the only one that actually has gone even down more since its low last spring or found a new low, I should say, is Tarmogoyf because it's been less important in the modern format overall. So, um, you know, its fortunes have waned, whereas things like Cavernous Souls and Snapcaster and Temporal Mastery and uh, Entreat the Angels are all, you know, ascendant in this new version of the meta. Yeah, which is funny, I because you actually might see Tarmogoyf rebound hard now because Jund is so much better than it was, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, and Tarmogoyf is almost always a four of there. So I would be surprised. People, there's going to be a lot more people playing Tarmogoyf than there were. So that might the, the thing is, too. yeah, the issue though, is that did people sell them when they weren't playing them? Mm. So did previous Jun players out them into other things and now need to reacquire? Or are they just sitting on them? My suspicion is that, that things like Jace and Liliana the Veil and Tarmogoyf never exit collections. Um, or much more rarely. Because... You're looking at it. If you've only got four copies, you look at them and you're like, well, am I just going to have to buy these back later? Um, especially since like Goyf is both modern and legacy playable. The um, So I think that, you know, those, card, those cards and cards like them are the ones you, you go ahead and just hold them and look for, you know, even cheaper entry points down the road. Well, I don't think I agree that most players aren't going to sell their Tarmogoyfs, even if they're not too um, too in use. No question about it. But everyone who has started playing modern, for instance, since Blood Raid was banned, probably didn't bother to buy, uh, you know, might not have bothered to buy Tarmogoyfs because why would you? Like they're what, you know, they weren't a huge part of the format. They haven't been for a while. You haven't really need them. And they were still expensive, even if they weren't $200, they were still pricey. So it's like, yeah, if I don't need it right now, I'm not going to bother. But now that John's suddenly popular, it's like Blood Raid's back and I can cascade in the Tarmogoyf and people are going to be a lot more about that lifestyle than they were before. So you have all these new players who didn't bother before have a reason to now. All right, so my uh, article I'm posting, Magic 25 Rare and Mythic Predictions, uh, will be up uh, later tonight. This is Saturday the 24th. We're getting previews on Monday, so you'll probably want to check that out pretty quick. Um, And if you've got uh, input of your own on cards we might have missed or analysis that you think uh, overrides anything we've said, feel free to fire it off at us on Twitter or uh, post it in the comments on the article. Keep it to yourself. I will delete your comments and not read your tweets. <laughs> cranky, cranky old man. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the ep- end of episode 107. James, where can our listeners find you? 
You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. You can find me every Monday at, at MTGPrice.com of the Watchtower series. Uh, I also do the uh, Cartel vs. Christ webcast most Mondays. Uh, I would like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.